Welcome. Have I told you lately that I love you? I love you. I'm so glad that you're here today and glad to welcome those worshiping with us online as well. Always glad that you're in the house. We've been talking about being a mess, and we know that we're all a mess. And so I'm going to just do a quick review for those who maybe weren't here last week, the last couple of weeks, and we'll move on into the message for today. This term hot mess has been around for a long time. In the 19th century, it was related to food in the military, and it was like mess hall or a mess kit. In the 20th century, it was also a military term. It was used to describe a dangerous environment or a firefight or a dangerous situation. In the 21st century, a hot mess is defined as an attractive disaster. Don't you like that? Somebody whose life is obviously in disarray, and yet they remain somewhat attractive. Now, we said last week that whenever you see a messy person, I encourage you not to be critical or to judge them, but just say under your breath, I know a mess when I see one because I am one. Many of you responded to this really amazingly last week and told me how much you appreciated the message and that you are really identified with it. So let's just confess together. I I know a mess when I see one because I am one. You think that's together, huh? (laughs) Let's try this again. I know a mess when I see one because I am one. I feel a little bit better because you were confessing last week. This week, you're a little too snooty for that. I've just noticed. So you've made a mess, you are a mess, or you're about to be in a mess, and your relationships aren't what you want them to be. And last week we said that whenever we realize we've made a mess, that whether it's in finances or our relationships or our marriage or at school or professionally, whatever it might be, there's something inside of us that wants to say, well... Nobody's perfect, right? Because we know that nobody is perfect, but it makes us feel better to say that about ourselves when we mess up. What we're actually saying is that that we know that when we are honest about our own mess, that we're really closer to actually discovering God. Because we have to know that we need God for God to work in our lives. And when we acknowledge that, then that's when he can really work. Because nobody's perfect, we learn that there really is a perfect, and then that's God, and that's not us, right? And so we won't be perfect until we're taken to heaven. So if there is a perfect, and we're not perfect, we fall short. We know there's this standard. We don't know where it comes from, but we realize it's there, and we're accountable to it. We also acknowledge our messes knowing that we're taking steps toward acknowledging God when we do that because we all fall short. There's a standard we live by, and we're just not that. Now, last week I told you that Laura and I sat down, and I said, Laura, my wife, I said, I'd like for you to share with me some times when I, Joe Lay, messed up. I want to brainstorm about that. I want to tell them a story about when I was a mess. And we started brainstorming, but we just kept coming up, and it wasn't me. We just kept coming up with Laura stories because she has some stories. The girl has stories, okay? And so many of you after church, I noticed this. You found me out, and you came to me and you said to me, okay, great, you told us a story about Laura, but we like that first concept that you mentioned where you were going to tell us a story where you, Joe, messed up. You are one sick bunch of people. <laughs> and so you, you're, you're 
your answer to prayer is coming today. Here goes. We were living in Opelika, Alabama. Now, Opelika and Auburn are twin cities. They're right together, and they're about 100 miles southwest of Atlanta. And so we're living up there, and we've just moved in a new house, and we're both home on Friday because it has snowed in Opelika, Alabama. An unusual occurrence, but it did snow, okay? And so Laura's got a school day. My day off is Friday. And we're just sitting there looking out the back window. we got this big window in our den, and we're we're just in our new house and we're just watching it snow and we've been living on the Gulf Coast forever and we hadn't been around snow in forever and so it was really neat to watch it come down and so Laura and I are from Tennessee and she grew up on the mountain and she decided well you know if it's going to snow we might get snowed in so I better run to the grocery and buy some groceries and stock up. And little did we know that it would melt by the next morning, okay? So since Laura had been involved in a few accidents, the story's about me, just relax, okay? <laughs> She'd been involved in a few accidents driving. I decided, being the kind, wonderful person that I am, that I would drive her to the store in the snow. And so it was a cold, gray day as we left, and the snow was falling as we made our way out to go shopping. I came to an intersection behind the hospital, and I was going to cross Highway 280. Now, I need to explain at this point. You pull up to the stop sign. Highway 280 is in front of you, but there's this big curve that comes around like this, and then on down here, there, there's a traffic light where it has to stop. But when they come around this curve, they've been going pretty fast. It's a four-lane road, and then the speed limit drops, okay? And so they slow down, or at least you hope they slow down. So what I did was I pulled out into the median, and this particular part of the highway, after you come around the curve, the median, it's all paved, okay? There's no grass or anything in the middle, but it is kind of marked off. They've got stripes on it. It's a median. So what you do is you look this way, and when it's clear, you pull out, and then you really look carefully because you can't really tell these people. Are gonna, it's a blind curve, and they're going to be flying around, and you're going to turn left, and then you're going to work your way over in traffic so that by the corner you can turn right. Is this too much information? Are you following me? <laughs> okay, so that's what I did. And so what happened was that when I got out there and I pulled out into the median, as I was being careful and I was turning left and watching for traffic, I heard this awful noise and realized that I was a part of that. In fact, I was the cause of it. There was a yield sign on my left, and when I turned, I did some damage there. The running board on our SUV had taken out the sign. I don't mean I just bent it over a little bit, just kind of nudged it maybe. I mean that that big SUV clipped it right above the pavement, and it was just laying out there in the road in the median at this point. As fortune would have it, there was a policeman across the road. <laughs> He was sitting there waiting to try to catch speeders coming around, but somehow his attention was drawn to me. And so he came over to check on us to see how we were doing. And he came up to me and he asked me, what happened? And I said, well, you see, I was trying to drive my wife to the store so she wouldn't have a wreck when I hit that sign. <clears throat> So I took her on to the store, and we had to have the SUV repaired. And several months later, I got a bill from the state of Alabama for that yield sign. This happened 13 years ago, but I'm not bitter. I've moved on.
So that Sunday, of course, I had to tell the story in church. And you know, everybody in church laughed except for my state farm agent. He was not too happy. <laughs> then the people in the church started teasing me about road signs. Hey, Joe, don't hit any road signs today, huh? And then if they went up 280 and they noticed that the road sign that I hit was gone, they'd say, hey, you been up on 280 lately, right? And so here's what I noticed in my defense, Your Honor. I learned that many people have hit that sign over the years. What happens is when you pull up to the stop sign, that yield sign is in a blind spot between your side window and your windshield. And if you've got a section there, and I've even got a little visor, so it's pretty wide, you can't see the yield sign, okay? Not only did I take that out, but ambulance drivers from the hospital who pull out of there on a regular basis and who know the sign is there have taken that sign out many times. The back of the sign was gunmetal gray. It was snowing. It was gray outside. The sky was gray. I mean, you couldn't really see it, but it was hidden in my blind spot. And then they came out, and after I did that, the, the state came out, and they put reflective tape on that sign. People still hit it and took it out. So then they came out, and they got this orange and white barrel, and they put it at the bottom of the sign so people would notice. And people still hit it after that. So finally, they caught on, and they moved the sign over so it wasn't in your blind spot so that you wouldn't hit it and people could see it better. But on that day, I, Joe Lay, made a real mess of that sign. Now, I want to talk to the group of you who have made a real mess of something. That's something that's so big that you're not sure it can be cleaned up. Today, it may be your finances, and, and you tried to make good choices, but something happened, and you had unexpected bills, and it's mounting up. And the more you try to clean it up, the worse it gets, and you don't know what to do. Or maybe it's a relationship, and you tried hard to make it work, and, but it's not working now, and you want it to work. And maybe it's a family member, and you don't know how to fix it or what to do. Maybe it's in school, your academic life, and, and you took the courses you were supposed to take, and you tried, and you studied, and then you took the test, and you didn't pass, and, and now you're going to take it again, and you only have so many shots at it, and what are you going to do? Or maybe it's in your professional life, and you've made some choices that have really come back to bite you, and maybe you're having trouble at work. Or maybe it's in your marriage, and it's something that's bigger than you and your spouse, and and, and you never dreamed you'd be in this situation. And, and you now know what to do to, to make it work. You've always thought that you could make anything work, but, but it's not working, and you don't know what to do. Or there's something going on with your parents, and, and you don't really know what it is, and you can't put your finger on it, but you want to try to help them, but, but you don't know how. And they're just growing farther and farther apart. Or maybe you've gotten in trouble with the law. You see, here we would say with the police, but if you grew up in Tennessee, you got in trouble with the law. That's what happens up there, okay? We also say things like, I reckon directly we're fixing to go. That's just what we say. You may need a translator to help you with that. <laughs> and right now, you look good on the outside, but on the inside, you're just a hot mess. And you're somewhat functional, but there's a disaster going on in your life.
And the mess is so big, you don't even know where to begin to try to deal with it. And you want to clean it up, but you can't do it alone. And this mess, if you're really honest, is your fault. You ignored somebody's advice. You ignored your conscience or your parents. You ignored your best friend or God. You ignored the people who love you and tried to tell you the truth. You even ignored yourself because there was something inside of you that said, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't make that call. You shouldn't go there. And you just went ahead and did it anyway. And now it's a big mess. And really, you know, it's all your fault. That's who I want to talk to today because you've got a messy part of your life and you're wondering, what am I going to do? And it's keeping you up at night. Now, here's what we said last week. The mess that brings us together is the mess that brought God near. You see, it's when we are honest and we acknowledge that we've made a mess that God can really work in our lives. As long as we're in denial... As long as we're not honest, as long as we say, no, no, I got this, I can handle it myself, as long as you let pride keep you from giving up and giving in to God, then he really can't work in your life. But it's when you acknowledge the mess that things work. John 3.16, the most famous verse in the Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. You know, what he did was he didn't just take care of it from heaven. But Jesus came into a messy world, and he got close to messy people, and he didn't keep us at arm's length. In fact, he said, it's the messy people that I want to reach. Those are the ones who need me the most. Those are the ones that I've come for. But there may be another verse that speaks to you today. Sometimes it gets overlooked because it follows that verse. And the mess is all your fault, and it, but that very mess... Is what God may use to introduce himself into your life in a real and possible way. Because in John 3, 17, it says this, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. What I've discovered in many years of being a Christian is that most people, if they're honest about it, they, they, they don't mean to, but, but most people think that God is a scorekeeper. Most people think that God's in heaven with a little clipboard saying, I saw that. I'm, I see that. I know what you're doing. I saw you mess up. You blew it. Boy, did you, did you blow it there? And that's what we start thinking. But, but then he says, no, he didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save it. So that's really not the voice of God that's saying that. That's the voice of the enemy. And the voice of the enemy, the Bible tells us, he is the accuser. And what he wants to do is he wants to get you and me isolated from God. And he wants to tell us how much of a failure we are and how much of a mess we are so that we don't turn to God for help because, after all, he's right. We're guilty. We've blown it. We don't have a leg to stand on. So what can we do? And so we just go, well, you know, I, I guess I can't go to God, but that's a lie from the pit. And we don't have to believe that. And Jesus came into the world to take messy lives and to rescue them from the mess. 
behind all of our messes, we read the gospel, and it's intimate, and it's passionate, and it's personal in a way that you can't even imagine. And one day, Jesus is in the temple teaching, and the Pharisees are there, and all the teachers of the law, and they drag this woman in who has messed up her life, and she's been accused of adultery. And she's messed up her marriage and her reputation because everybody in that little small community knows who she is and they know what she's done. And after a conversation with her accusers that Jesus has, one by one they stop, start dropping their rocks because they're going to stone her. And they walk away because he says, he who is without sin cast the first stone and probably the oldest one there dropped his rock first and then the next one, and the next. And then Jesus stands up, and he looks at this condemned woman, and he says, look at me. I don't condemn you. And he says, I'm not going to sentence you to what you deserve. And then he says, leave your life of sin and her whole world has changed for the better. And one day he's walking along, and he's, there's a big crowd of people, and, and he sees a tax collector up in a tree. And Zacchaeus had completely made a big mess of his life. He had taken a job as a tax collector. He'd made a big mistake. And then he began to overcharge the people in his community. And he had enriched himself on the backs of the hard-working people who were his neighbors. And he was despised and hated. And there was no way forward and there was no way out. But even he wanted to see Jesus. And Jesus stops as he's walking along. And, and who does he notice? This mess of a man up in a tree. He says, Zacchaeus, come down because we're going to go to your house today, you messy little man, and we're going to have lunch together. And behind closed doors, Jesus takes this mess of a man, and he says, I want you to leave your life of sin, and I want you to follow me, Zacchaeus. And he says, and you've got to pay these people back what you've stolen from them with interest. And the New Testament tells us that Zacchaeus' life drastically changed right then. And even though nobody liked him, and even though nobody trusted him, he went back into that community of enemies, and he began to pay people back the money that he had stolen from them with interest. And the Bible tells us that he paid them back more interest than the law required. And his life was changed forever. And one day, Jesus was in an area of the country where most Jewish people didn't want to be because Jews and Samaritans didn't intermingle and, and have conversation together, and he was in Samaria. And he stopped at a well. The disciples who were with him went on into the little town ahead in the village of Sychar to get food. And in the middle of the day, and in the Middle East, in the middle of the day, it's blisteringly hot. And in the middle of the day, this woman comes by herself to the well to draw water. And the reason she comes then is because she's made a mess of her life. She doesn't come in the cool of the day with the rest of the women from the village because nobody wants to be seen with her. She has to go to the well at the hottest time of the day when no one is going to be there. 
She's been married five times, and that's a lot today. But back then, that was really a lot. And the man she was living with at the time was not her husband. And this woman has this long history of making a mess and trying to correct it and making it even messier. And it's just her and Jesus alone at the well. And she expected him to say nothing because Jews and Samaritans don't even talk. But Jesus looks at her and he says, come close to me and I will quench the thirst that you've been trying to quench your entire life. In other words, he was saying to her, there's something that you've been looking for and you've been looking in all the wrong places and you're getting the wrong answers. But I've got something so much better than what you've been doing. And if you'll just let me, I can help your life to change. And her life was different from then on. And then at the end of his life, Jesus has this interchange with this man who's a mess. A man who has messed up his life so thoroughly and completely that he's been arrested. And they can't even keep him in prison because the only thing he can do now with his life was to serve as an example to other people of what not to do because he has been condemned to die. But Jesus says to this mess of a man, this thief on the cross today, today you will be with me in paradise. And the amazing thing I don't want you to miss is this. No matter how messy your life is, no matter how deep the mess is, no matter how much it's your fault, regardless of your mess, Jesus offered these messy people himself as the solution. That's the second thing. If you're looking for a solution, here I am, and I've got the answer. And Jesus, the Son of God, invites messy people to follow him, and he's still inviting messy people today. Jesus wants to get right in the middle of the mess, and he doesn't want to leave until he takes care of it. And the fact, following this encounter with Jesus, the woman who had been dragged in front of him on the Temple Mount and accused of adultery, immediately following that, the gospel writer John writes these words. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And I can and I will show you the way out. And this is what it means for you. If you've created a mess and you're in a messy place and you don't know the way out, Jesus won't pull back from you because you're all a mess. And he says, you can follow me because I am the light of the world. Listen, if you're in a dark place today, you need to follow somebody who has a light. And Jesus says, I'm offering myself as the solution, and that's all you'll need. And then he makes this promise. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Your life is going to change forever. And I bet you want what I want, what we all want when we've made a mess. 
You want somebody to show up, and you want somebody to fix it quickly. But your heavenly Father loves you and me too much to just give you a quick fix for your mess because when he does that, he knows that the next time he sees you, you're going to be in that same place and you're going to need another quick fix. And so he's got a better plan. And he says, no, we're not going to do it that way. Here's what I want, what I really want for you. I want to have a relationship with you. I don't want to just show up every now and then and fix the mess you've made. I want to live with you. I want to give you full access to me. You can spend every day of your life right there with me. I'm as close as your breath. And, and I will be right there for you. And all you got to do is be honest and open up and talk to me, and I'll take care of the mess that you've made. You can have a personal, intimate relationship with me through my son, Jesus Christ. And what does it mean to follow Jesus? It, that's what it means. It means relationship. Jesus said at the end of his sermon in Matthew 7, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And following Jesus requires a declaration. God, I built my house on the sand and I'm reaping what I've sown. I've built my finances or my marriage or this dating relationship or my academic pursuits or my profession. I, I built some area of my life on something that doesn't last and, and the house is just tumbling down around me and I need your help. Following Jesus is agreeing with Jesus when he said, everyone who bears the, hears these words of mine and, and puts them into practice is like the wise man who built his house on the rock. And an overnight fix is what we want, but he said it's not going to be that way. It's going to take time. It's going to be a relationship. It's going to be a walk with me. It's going to be a process. And Jesus says, I'm going to tell you how to get out through a process, and you can build your life with me. And so if it's your life or your finances or your relationship or your marriage or your parenting or your friendships or your professional life or academic life or, or something around what I've taught, if you'll just turn it over to me, I will take care of your mess. And it says in Matthew, Therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like the wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house. And yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. So here's the bottom line for today. You can't pray your way out of a mess that you've behaved your way into. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that you can't pray about it. I'm saying you can pray about it. You've got to pray about it. But I'm telling you something beyond that. Because if you just pray, but you don't ever surrender to God, then you're just going halfway. You're praying, and he wants to answer your prayer, but you've got to give up and give in to him in order for him to answer the prayer the way you want him to. Your heavenly Father invites you to follow his Son, and God will meet you in the mess. Listen, God is not offended by you. God does not condemn you. He sees your mess as an opportunity for you to invite him in. 
And we know this because of what Jesus did. And the reason we know this true is because this room is full of men and women and boys and girls whose stories are something like this. I messed up. I gave up. I looked up and God showed up. And if they could, that's what people would tell you their personal story is today. It took the mess to arrange the meeting. Because when we acknowledge the mess, when we see ourselves for who we really are, that's when God, that's when he does his best work because we surrender to him. And as a result of the mess, God shows up and he says, let's take care of this together. So I'm going to ask you to do something today similar to what Jesus asked Matthew and Zacchaeus and the woman at the well and the thief at the cross. I'm going to ask you to follow Jesus out of your mess. And in a few minutes, I'm going to ask you to do something today. If you're sitting here today and the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, and you know he's speaking to you, and you know that you've got a mess and you don't know what to do with it, if you're sitting there, here's what I want you to do. In just a little bit, I'm going to ask you to stand up right where you are. And here's the reason why. Because the Gospel of Matthew, it's there for us to read. Because one day Jesus walked up to a tax collector's booth, and he looked at Matthew. And there was a big crowd of people around watching. And Jesus said to Matthew, Matthew, I want you to follow me. And everybody knew Matthew, and they knew that he had messed up, and they didn't like Matthew. And everybody knew who Jesus claimed to be, and there was all this tension. But in the midst of that kind of an environment, Matthew stood up in front of the public, and he followed Jesus back to Matthew's house. And one day when Jesus stopped and looked up in a tree, he saw Zacchaeus. He said, Zacchaeus, everybody knows who you are. They know what you've done, and they know what I'm about. But I'm asking you, Zacchaeus, to publicly come down from that tree. And publicly, I want you to follow me to your house. And I want it to be the first step of you following me for the rest of your life. And both Matthew and Zacchaeus' lives were changed that day. And God took care of the mess. But the woman at the well was a champion. The woman at the well in the New Testament in John chapter 4, when she recognized who Jesus was and she saw him as the Messiah, did you ever notice Jesus didn't have to ask her to do anything? She set down something that was very valuable to her, her water jar, which was an instrument of life or death. And she hurried away to her little village and she said to the people who knew her the best, I just met a man who, like you, knows all about my past. But unlike you, he doesn't condemn me. Could this be the Messiah? Could this be the one we've waited for? And what does the woman at the well do? She publicly identifies with Jesus in front of a group of people who had no respect for her, and Jesus wasn't even in the city yet. 
And I love the way her story is betrayed, portrayed in The Chosen. Because when she has this encounter with Jesus, she just starts grinning. And anytime you see her, she's there with her friends and Jesus comes in and she's just waiting to see what's going to happen for them because she wants what happened to her to happen for them. And she's the happiest person, a person who had made a terrible mess of her life and now she's just at peace with God. So if you're here today and you would say, you know what? You're right. I've been putting this off too long. I'm ready. I'm ready today to publicly admit that I have messed up and I need to follow Jesus. If you're ready to give up, if you're ready to look up, if you're just hoping God will show up, then I'm going to ask you to stand right where you are. Don't worry about the crowd. These folks didn't do that. Don't worry about what people think about you. If the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, then I want to ask you to stand up and let God and let others know your desire to publicly say you want to follow Jesus. Would you do that today? Would you say yes to Jesus? If you're here right now, we'll wait. Don't let this time go by. Some of you are sitting there and you're thinking, I don't want to do that. It'll make me uncomfortable. I'll wait till I go home. I'll do it another time. Sometime when there's not so many people in the room, I'll do it then. <clears throat> don't do that. Do it now. When the Holy Spirit speaks to you, it's a time for you to allow him to take care of the mess. Don't wait. Go ahead. It's okay. You're among friends. God loves you, and he wants to work in your life, and all he wants is for you to surrender. And when you do, that's his invitation. But he can't do it until you surrender to him. And now I'd like all the rest of us messes to stand up with them. Because we've either been one, or we are one, or we will be one very soon. And I want to thank you today for your courage, and I want to pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for Matthew. Thank you for the woman at the well. Thank you for Zacchaeus and the thief on the cross. Lord, we thank you. for the people who have inspired us. We thank you for the people who have led us. We thank you for the people who have warned us. We thank you for the people who have sacrificed for us. And most of all, Lord, we thank you for who you are and for what you do in our lives. Heavenly Father, I pray that this will be the first step into an authentic, genuine relationship with the Savior of the world. And I pray in the name of Jesus and all of God's children said, Amen. you may be seated.